0: You found your place in Psalm 126, and let's read that together as we uh, begin with verse 1. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then, and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we were joyful. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like watercourses. In the Negev, or the southern desert, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying a bag, or the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy. He'll come back rejoicing, carrying his sheaves. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message. He says that those with heavy hearts, they return with armloads of blessings. I want to talk to you about heavy hearts and armloads of blessings this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the encouragement that we receive. Even when we look on uh, the history of your people Israel and under the Old Testament, Lord, we we see it as such a beautiful pattern for what you're doing spiritually in the, the life of your people today and what you desire to do. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us to that place that we just sang about, that that the desire of our heart would be the desire of your heart, and that your passion for revival and renewal will be our passion for revival and renewal. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, you saw a little announcement from Scott. You saw uh some of the things that Ben shared with you and on your way out this morning we want to give you some more resources that you can pass out invite other people you saw that there's going to be special days um after uh the service next sunday morning we're inviting all college students to stay after we're going to feed you for free so um i remember what it was like in college if i could get a free meal outside of the school cafeteria i was always ready for that um so we're going to feed college students after the service next Sunday. so we want as many as can come be a part of that and stay with us. And then uh, Monday night, the sport, fall sports, all auxiliaries. everybody we're inviting everybody to come, not just if you play a fall sport, but we want to uh, recognize some of our fall sports teams, make them our honored guests, feed them wings before the service at six. So come be a part of that. Uh, Tuesday night, family night. We want everybody to bring family, extended family. And uh, Wednesday night is Awana night. We're not counseling Awana. We're just having uh, this place. Some of you remember a couple of years ago, or you know what it's like on Kids Camp Sunday. It's going to be organized mass chaos on Wednesday night, and we're going to have a good time, and Scott's going to speak a a message where these Awana kids and all of us can really uh, learn something that will will change our lives. So be in prayer for that revival, but be in prayer for revival always. You know, the great baseball player turned evangelist, Billy Sunday, was known for his revivals and he would have some of these revivals in baseball stadiums and he would get pretty excited. He might even run and slide into home plate and and jump up and say, safe in the haven of rest. You can be safe in the arms of Jesus. And he was uh, very illustrative in his preaching. But one lady who was a critic came to him and said, well, Mr. Sunday... Why do you keep having to have these revivals? I mean, if it was real, if God was really doing something, wouldn't it last? But you keep having to have these revivals, so for some reason it's not last, not lasting. Why do you keep having to do revivals? And he looked at her and said, ma'am, why do you keep taking baths? <laughs> well, if I were to ask how many of you have had a bath this weekend, most of you would raise your hand. And if I were to say, well, didn't you have one last weekend or the week before? We live in a world where it just, you know, we just kind of pick up things, and, and we get dirty along the way, and we need cleansing and we need renewal. And sometimes our vision of God gets clouded, and so we set aside a time on a calendar for a, a time of awakening. But I pray that this one will be even different, and that what God does in your heart and in my heart and in our lives will be something that touches a, an entire community, a generation, and, and ultimately impacts our world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ, and certainly, I want to ask you to join me in praying that we see men and women, boys and girls, put their faith and trust in Christ, and those who know Him have their spirits renewed in Him. Now, we're looking at a passage that describes something that happened in Israel's history. Now, I was talking with um, Brother Jerry on Friday night at the ball game, and he's been teaching through the Judges, and we we were talking about how that cycle—you know—they would get right with God. And, and everything would be going great. Then all of a sudden they would kind of fade and they would take God for granted. And they'd get away from God. They would find themselves in bondage and then God would send a judge. He would send a deliverer to get them out of the bondage that they were in. And they, would, they would cry out to God in the midst of that and they'd get their hearts right again. And they just kept repeating the cycle again and again and again. And Jerry and I were talking about how that's kind of like we are, isn't it? We're just in that constant need to be brought back to repentance, brought back to faith, Brought, brought, brought back into an awareness of God's deliverance and, and God's power and his presence. So Israel's history is kind of like the, the life that we experience. You know, remember they began after the period of the judges, they were demanding a king. And in the midst of demanding a king, they were told that, yeah, okay, you'll have a king, but you'll, you'll discover that this king will not be all that it's cracked. This kingdom, this monarchy will not be all that's cracked up to be. And then Saul came along. That didn't work out. David, the greatest king that Israel knew came along, but he was certainly less than perfect and had sins that devastated his household and the kingdom as a result. And then Solomon, and then we had the divided kingdom period. I'm going to ask some of our uh, Bible students if you... Remember what happened to the divided kingdom in 722 B.C. The northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians from the north. And then by 586 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah had fallen. And and most of the uh, Jews that would have been leaders or been prominent anyway had all been taken captive. Even Daniel and his friends, you read that story. But they had been taken to Babylon. And it seemed like for a moment that Israel and Judah, Israel as a whole was no more and they find themselves in captivity but God was not finished with his people and I don't believe to this day that God is finished even with Israel and some promises that are yet to be fulfilled but promises that a remnant would return to Jerusalem came true under leaders like Zerubbabel like Nehemiah like Ezra that would lead groups back into Jerusalem by God's sovereign hand he began to restore the city And so by the time we get to the mid-fifth century, B.C., the foundation of the temple was restored. The walls to Jerusalem were coming back together. The law, thanks to those who discovered those scrolls and and, and the law, the Torah was placed before the people of God. You see that beautiful passage in Nehemiah chapter 8 as Ezra the scribe Opens the book of the law as he opens that scroll, as he begins to open the Torah. It says the people stood up. That's why even today we still stand in honor reading of scripture. There was a pattern that was set all the way back in Nehemiah 8. They were so hungry for the word of God that when they found it and when they were back in a place of worship together corporately and it was opened up, they all stood in honor of the word of God, the book being opened before them. And all of a sudden, the word of God confronted them in Nehemiah chapter 8, and they're broken. And it's in that brokenness and revival that they were experiencing and all that was starting to come together again. An anonymous songwriter, a psalmist, wrote Psalm 126. begin began to pen these words that mean something. I believe it parallels something for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 reminds us that those things that happened to God's people in Israel all serve as examples for the church today for you and me to learn from. We're to learn from what they went through because much of it is spiritually paralleled in your life and in my life. So we can learn some things from Psalm 126, one of the greatest psalms, I think, when it comes to this subject of revival. And so to prepare for next week, but to prepare for today, to prepare for a lifetime of walking with Jesus, I want us to ask, what can we learn from Psalm 126? And I want to encourage you to go back and read it again and again this week and see what God wants to do in your hearts. First of all, one thing I think God would want to teach us is that their testimony, the testimony of what God was doing, was very publicly celebrated. They weren't ashamed of what God was doing. They were celebrating what God was doing as he began to restore them back to that place in the kingdom that they once knew. He it says in verse 1, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Now the temple's coming together, the walls are being rebuilt, there are things that are being returned to Jerusalem, especially the people, but he says it was like a dream come true. They were people of vision. They could see it happening one day, and now that dream was coming true, and I pray that you'll have a vision for what God wants to do. I pray that you'll have a dream for what God wants to do in your life. Can you get a vision for what he wants to do in your family? Can you get a vision for what Jesus wants to do in this church, in this community, in this state, in this nation, And in this world, see, if you're negative about just, well, I don't ever see God working again. I just, man, if he'll just go ahead and take us on out of here. And listen, I'm ready for the Lord to return anytime, and I believe that he could. But I also believe we're to be seeking his face for another great awakening. And and so get a vision for what that looks like. It's been said before, unless you see it, before you see it, you will never see it. Some of you are having to think about that, right? unless you see it before you see it you will never see it and so we have to get a vision for what revival looks like in our hearts and in our homes and in our church and in our community and so they said we were like those who were dreaming what does it look like for you personally and what does it look like to be a a church that impacts its community and impacts literally the nation's God is going to continue to open doors for this church, not only impact this community. God is going to continue to open the doors for this church to touch the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So get a vision in your heart for that and begin to pray for that. Well, they, they were experiencing that, and they began to joyfully celebrate that. Their testimony was publicly celebrated. He says, our mouths were filled with laughter then. We, we couldn't keep it off our face. Our tongues with shouts of joy, They sat among the nations. Well, the Lord has done great things for them. They could see the hand of God at work in their lives because they weren't quiet about it. Uh, Their restoration was visible for all to see. There's a joyful celebration. I I love to see when a young person, especially someone who is kind of an introvert on the inside, gets involved in a sport of some kind. I see this watching my daughter's volleyball team from uh, time to time. But to see that young lady go up and block a shot, Uh, uh, spike a ball on the other side of the net, or uh, make a great play. Uh, To see somebody uh, connect on that pass, to see somebody get that strike out, but especially if they're they're kind of an introvert, and and to watch that moment that kid hits that first home run, and to see them try their best not to smile. Y'all know that look I'm talking about? You're watching them, and they, they might round first base, or they might be walking off to the side of the field. And, and, and you know that they're kind of introverted, and they never get too excited, but they're try- and they just can't do it. They just can't keep the smile off their face. Now, some, uh, the, the extroverted crowd, they're going to let you know right away, man. They're going to be celebrating. They're going to be partying. But even the most introverted of us, when those moments happen where it's like, wow, man, you can't hide the smile and that joy just begins to overflow. Well, there's a victory that's happening here that's better than the victories under the lights on Friday nights or anywhere else. There's a victory that's happening here because God is doing a work of restoring the hearts of the people. And when God begins to do this work, they just their faces begin to show it. You know, I think that that's the reason a lot of people can't buy this thing called faith that, can't, that they can't get into. Well, I don't know if I want to be a part of a church because when I go to church, I look around and I see a lot of faces that don't tell me that God's doing anything. Believe me, I know I stand up here from time to time and it's like, man, I see like six or eight or ten, maybe, maybe a dozen people God's alive and well and doing a work in their life. But so many of you, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm doing my religious duty. i got to get through another service this week. But I pray that God will bring such revival that it shows in our hearts, it shows in our faces that we begin to just kind of lift the roof off this place in our worship and celebration, the public celebration of what God is doing. They couldn't help but be excited. The world couldn't help but see it. The world responded in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. The the Lord says in verse 2, uh, the world says the Lord has done great things for them, and their response is, you're right, he has. God has been at work, and it's undeniable. And, and they saw that it was a process. And they saw that, yeah, God's been at work, God's doing some wonderful things, but everybody's not back yet. There are still things that, that are left to be done. Verse 4 says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the water courses, like, like streams in the desert, the Negev that was the southern desert below Judah there. And he was saying, you know, there comes a time, when it gets really dry in the summer and throughout the fall, that that desert just kind of dries up. That's why it's desert. That's why it's that dry, arid land. But something happens after their winter, which isn't really a winter at all. But in the springtime, the rains, the rainy season begins to take place. And all of a sudden, this dry land for a while becomes damp and it becomes fertile again. And he says, like streams in the desert... As if we are a dry and we're a thirsty people, Lord, we want to see the floods come in. We want to see renewal come into our land. We want to see our hearts refreshed with living water that can only come from God. So those southern desert spring rains became a picture of what they wanted to see happening in Israel there. And that's as the waters would come and the streams would come, they wanted to see the return of the fortunes of Israel. Most importantly, those who had not left captivity and made it back home, they wouldn't want it to see them return. And see, if God is doing something in your life, you realize it's a process too. That there's there's more to get in on. Your walk with Jesus can be stronger. It can be more pure. It can be deeper. It can be more authentic than it is even today. And so you're saying, Lord, keep on restoring my soul. But also... If you truly love Jesus Christ, if you've come to a place in your life where you say, I love God and I love people. I love my family members. I love my neighborhood. I love the people I go to school with. If God's given you a love for people and you know that some of those folks aren't home yet, see, there were some of them that still hadn't made it back from Babylon. and So if you know that there are some that aren't home yet, They haven't put their faith and trust in Christ. There's a part of that joy that you can't help but show, man, God's doing some wonderful things in my life. God's doing some wonderful things in my home. He's doing some wonderful things in our church, and that's awesome, but there are still people out there that haven't made it home. There are still people in my family. There are still people in my community. There are still people in our world that don't know Jesus, and Lord, we're asking you to do something new and something fresh that we might see more people come home to faith in you. And so keep in mind, that their testimony was very publicly celebrated. But secondly, I want you to see in this passage that their task was personally embraced. Their task was personally embraced. These these last two verses are so power-packed here. And so the task refers to kind of an agricultural task that pictures this, the sowing. He says, those who sow in tears. So there's a sowing process And then he goes along carrying the bag of seed. And so the understanding there for us, the parallel there for us, is that the seed is the Word of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The sowing is the work that we put into that. Our praying, our giving, our going, our engaging people around us to make a difference in their lives. Now, I realize that Jesus looked out across a religious community one day, And he told his disciples, he said, the fields are white unto harvest. And so pray, therefore, for the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers, to raise up laborers, people who will get busy for the kingdom, people who will roll up their sleeves. I always get excited. I know God has brought a lot of new families into our church lately. And one thing that I love about those people that God's bringing to be a part of our church family is they're saying, man, we're ready to go to work we got our sleeves rolled up, and some of us, maybe that's been a part of what God's doing for a long time, we're not still getting after it like we used to be. And so revival means for us that we need to be revived in our passion for embracing the task, embracing the work that God has given us to do for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the gospel. But Jesus said the the fields are white in the harvest. The work may be a little bit different for us today because as we look out among the world, It's not a religious world like Jesus was looking at. He he was saying they've got the foundation of the law, which was a schoolmaster pointing them to a greater need for a savior. But the work we have before us today may be more like that that you see in Acts chapter 17 when Paul is at Mars Hill. It's either religious pluralism or paganism or no faith at all. So we've got a lot of work to do today. So we've got to embrace our task, our responsibility in that role. There's been a lot of conversations. You can Google this phrase, and you'll see everybody from Baptists and and, and Methodists and Pentecostals and every other denomination discussing it on YouTube. You'll find secularists. You'll find uh, the, the humanist crowd. You will find liberal universities. But if you Google this phrase, you'll find everybody talking about this group of people. And it's a phrase that we heard a lot on Monday and Tuesday. And the phrase is the rise of the nuns, the rise of the nuns—not n-u-n-s, but n-o-n-e-s. The none of the above crowd. The rise of the nuns refers to a people of whom faith doesn't even cross their minds. The things of God—it's just not something they ever think about. See, see, about as it was pointed out to us even this week, about one fourth of people in America today would be anti-religion. About one-fourth of them would say, we don't want anything to do with the God of the Bible or the things of God at all, and we think it's all just a bunch of crazy garbage. And and, and about a fourth of them will even begin to put down the things of God. And then there's about a fourth of us who embrace the things of God, embrace the things of the Bible, and we want our hearts to be right with God. We want our, our nation to return to to a faith in Jesus Christ. Some of us uh, interpret the scriptures a little bit differently than others, but we, as a whole, uh, about 25% that believe that the Bible is God communicating his love for us and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But then they refer to the 50% that's kind of in between today as, well, they're kind of the nuns. They, they, They don't really go either way. They're not atheists. If they were asked, they would probably just say, well, I don't really think much about it anymore, especially when you think of the younger generations. They've got the highest percentage among them of the people in their 20s and college students today. See, we get worried sometimes, what are they thinking about people of faith? And the response is we should be worried that they're not thinking about people of faith. I remember sitting in a classroom beside a young man who was not from this country, and he was trying to get adjusted to to life in america and i was kind of mentoring him along the way not in the things of god he probably mentored me in the things of god but i was mentoring him on the things of culture and uh explaining some things and, and there were some young ladies that i think perhaps had been interested in him and he's talking to me had nothing to do with the young ladies that were in the same classroom but they thought that it was and, and so they they looked over and they kind of said to him uh what are you saying about us and I said something that was really rude. I should not have said this at all. I, I coached him in a way that probably was not Christ-like. And, and, and I looked at him, and I, and I said, tell them. Because He, he told me, he said, you know, what, what do I say? Or he asked me, what do I say? They, they think I'm talking about them. I said, tell them not to flatter themselves. You have better things to talk about. Now, that was a wrong thing to say. That was an ungodly thing to say. But it certainly made a point when he did and in and, and his Arabic accent, he kind of said, You know, do not flatter yourselves. We've got better things to talk about than you. I'm like, Man, he's, he said it. He actually, he actually said it. He wasn't supposed to say that out loud. But regardless, the point was made that they were concerned what he might have been saying about them when the truth is, he wasn't saying anything. And as a church, we look at our world and we're like, What are they saying about the church today? And just a few years ago, we were assuming that there were negative statements being made about the church and the things of God. But today, the sad thing is, it's not the negative statements, it's that no statement is being made whatsoever. Nobody is remarking on the church at all, which makes us what? Unremarkable. (laughs) They're not even having to deal with the message of the gospel because it simply isn't coming up. It's not even being discussed. It's not being, what do you believe, heaven is real or hell is real? I don't know. I don't even think about it. And this generation gives it no thought. So it's the rise of the nuns. They check none of the above when it comes to these things. See, it's, it's not crossing their minds. It's not crossing our lips. And we're living unimpressive lives because we haven't embraced the task. So I'm praying that we will begin to sow and that we will begin to plant seeds again. The reason the fields aren't white unto harvest is because we haven't been sowing and planting and carrying precious seed of the Word of God into this world. It's almost like we have to move people to having a, a mind to think religiously at all before we can move them to even considering faith in Jesus Christ. Third, I want you to see that their tears accompanied this. See, not only was the task personally embraced, their tears were passionately expressed they didn't just sow they sowed verse 5 in tears they didn't just go uh, along carrying the bag of seed in verse 6 they went along weeping not only were they working they were weeping in the process captivity had been tough getting people home and back to jerusalem was hard work and it was through blood sweat and yes even tears and lots of broken hearts And prayers that led to this time of restoration, prayers of the brokenhearted and and the broken spirits were crying out. See, not only do we live in a day where the lost give little or no thought to the things of faith, here's the greater tragedy. I believe God convicted me of this just this week, and and I wrote this statement down. The greater tragedy. See, not only do we live in a day where the lost give little or no thought to the faith, the greater tragedy is that people of faith give little or no thought to the lost. Now let that sink in for a moment. Let it break your heart as God's beginning to break my heart. We not only live in a day and an age where the lost give no thought to the things of faith, we live in a day and age where the people of faith give little or no thought to the lost. And it doesn't break our hearts like it used to that they could step into eternity without Christ and we're not to the place of tears like we once were. And there are people like even your pastor here that says, well, you know, I remember when my son put his faith in Jesus Christ. I remember when my daughter put her faith in Jesus Christ and their lives are giving evidence that they've trusted Christ. My wife is serving the Lord and her life gives evidence that she's trusted Christ. So guess what? Me and my family, we're on our way to heaven. And if I'm not careful, I can be so content with that, that in the back of my mind, even though I'm not saying it subconsciously, I'm communicating. But if the whole world goes to hell, at least my family's going to heaven. God's called us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and it should break our heart that any man, woman, boy, or girl could step into eternity without Jesus Christ. Where are the tears? We learned to pray a little prayer the first half of this week, and Jeff has posted that prayer, a very short prayer that you can begin to pray. We began to pray a prayer on Monday and Tuesday. That went something like this Lord, I don't ask for much today. I just ask that you give me your heart for lost people. Lord, I don't ask for much today. I just ask that you give me your heart for lost people. I want to challenge you to begin to pray that with us. Lord, I don't ask for much today. I just ask that you give me your heart for lost people. Begin to pray that consistently. heard the story of a missionary, I believe was from the area of West Africa, The story's been told a number of times by a number of people, and so I'm not sure exactly which nation it was from, but this missionary observed that in this impoverished impoverished area that he was serving in, that there was a time where there was a harvest, and they gathered the grain, and they put away the seed grain for the next year's planting. And then uh, to begin with, they would have three meals a day, and they would make kind of, there was... Uh, kind of a meal that was made and, and, and all kinds of uh, breads and, and um, almost like an oatmeal-type substance that was made out of the, the grain. And so they would go for a, a season where they were eating really good and then it would get to where they didn't quite have as much and then it would get to where they were down to two meals a day and then they were down to one meal a day and then the, they were down to one small meal a day when it was time to plant again. And, and while they were hungry and, and they were empty and they were wanting more, that maybe a son, maybe a, a, a young boy would say, Dad, but remember, we have some more grain. We can eat that. And the dad would say, No, we can't eat that. That's the seed grain. We've got to plant so that we can eat again next year. And they would go out. And they said the boy would begin to help plant. And he thought, That's food that I could be eating, but I'm having to plant it. And through tears, he would sow in tears. And the missionary said that that became a picture to him of Psalm 126, sowing in tears so that they could reap in joy. When we begin to get to a place of spiritual desperation and hunger and wanting God to move, that we take the precious seed and we sow it into the world that it might reap a harvest for the glory of God. If the fields aren't wide under harvest in America today, it's because we haven't planted. We haven't planted the seed that God's called us to plant. Finally, I want you to see in this passage that they're trophies were prominently displayed. The promise held that when they brought back these sheaves, as they brought back the fruit of their labor, it says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy in verse 5. And those who go forth weeping and, and carrying the bag of seed for sowing, he will surely, the King James and the New King James says, doubtless come back with shouts of joy Carrying his sheaves, armloads of blessings. They were faithful. Their testimony, their prayer, their work had gone out. You say, but what are what are trophies? What do you mean by trophies? Well, they're, they're not really our trophies, are they? They're trophies that we experience, but, but they aren't really our. See Ephesians chapter two and verse seven says that God displays us as testimonies of His grace. Your life and my life are trophies of God's grace in this world. God puts us on display and says, "Let me show you what my grace can do in a life." And so trophies of God's grace are pictures of when men and women, boys and girls come to faith in Christ, and He turns them into something brand new for his glory. But when God restores a family, when God restores that prodigal child that has run from him for so long, when they come back home, that's a trophy of God's grace. And so when we've embraced that task and we've shed those tears for the glory of God and we've cried out and we've worked and given it everything we have to bring people to faith in Christ, the trophies are God doing a brand new work in us. God doing a brand new work in our families. God doing a brand new work in our community and our world. And I don't believe that God is finished with me yet. And I pray that you don't believe God is finished with you yet. I pray that you haven't given up on your family, your children, your grandchildren. I pray that you haven't given up on this county, this state, and this nation. Because God has left us here to make a difference. And I pray that you'll join me in saying, I don't want to leave this place the way I found it. Vance Havner, late. Baptist preacher said revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again can you remember a time in your life where you love Jesus more than you do today another great preacher G. Campbell Morgan said that we can't organize for revival we do a lot of things to try to plan for it don't we he says we can't organize for revival but we can certainly set ourselves to catch the wind when the Spirit of God blows upon us, and that's what I'm asking you to do. Set yourselves today. Find some time this week to say, "Lord, I just want to be be sure my cells are ready." Because we're praying and believing you're going to work. We're preparing for rain, Lord, and, and, and because we're, we've set ourselves and we're prepared, we're, we're ready for you to work. And Lord, we can't make it happen. We don't have that power, but you can. And we want to be ready. We want to be prepared for you to do what you want to do means you've got to know him you've got to love him you've got to walk with him and seek his face like never before acknowledge where you are right now and then pray that prayer that i taught you to pray a moment ago lord we don't ask for much today all we ask is that you give us your heart for lost people for people that haven't made it back home yet would you bow your heads with me